The judge rules on the issue of cameras in the courtroom. The judge responds in the Delphi matter and our dumb criminal of the day. Let's talk about it. Good day, everyone. My name is Scott Reich, and this is Crime Talk. Thanks for joining us. You know the drill. Subscribe if you haven't. Like if you do. Leave me a comment below, and remember to hit that little bell for notifications. And you can always listen to us anytime on any of your favorite podcasting apps. All right, let's go ahead and get to the docket today, November 20th, 2023. And so let's go ahead and open the record. First, the court issues an order as it relates to cameras in the courtroom for Brian Koberger. Now, everyone in the press is saying this is a big victory for Brian Koberger. No, it's not. He lost. Remember, neither the prosecutor nor the defense wanted cameras in the courtroom. The judge is allowing it. And what the court is saying is, I'm going to control the cameras because it's going to be on my TV, my YouTube channel, and therefore, it problem is solved. And like we've done in lots of important cases, I think it's best to just, well, let's just go to the order. It's not that lengthy in this particular case. And I think you'll see that the defense lost this particular motion. All right, this is the order denying second motion to intervene and granting defendants motion to remove media cameras from the courtroom. Now the order makes it sound like the press lost, but the press is still going to get to see what takes place in the courtroom. That's all anyone wanted. If the court wasn't going to do it, the press should be allowed to do it. The court's going to allow it. So let's go on. It says, this order addresses the motion to remove cameras from the courtroom filed by the defendant, Brian Koberger, on August 24th of 2023. On September 6th of 2023, the state responded to Koberger's motion requesting that the court prohibit cameras in the courtroom but still and video at a minimum during trial and during any court proceeding at which victims might be called to testify. And they referenced that was uh, the state's response to defendant's uh, motion to remove cameras. Now, on August 30th, 2023, a coalition of 14 media outlets that will be collectively referred to as the Associated Press filed a second motion to intervene in this case. On September 8th, 2023, the Associated Press filed an opposition to motions to remove cameras from the courtroom. The Associated Press argues that continuing to allow audiovisual coverage of the proceedings is the only way to ensure that the many communities, members affected by these crimes throughout the University of Idaho, Moscow, the state of Idaho, and the cities in which the victim's family members resides have an opportunity to see and hear the proceedings for themselves. For the reasons stated below, the court grants Koberger's motion to remove cameras from the courtroom as it pertains to cameras, both still and video, operated by the media. However, the court will continue to allow the proceedings to be videoed by a court-operated camera system. This will help alleviate the concerns raised by both the defense and the state, but at the same time will allow to ensure the uh, public still has access to the proceedings for themselves if they cannot attend the hearings in person. Ladies and gentlemen, that is classic split the baby. The prosecution and the defense lost because they didn't want it. The press wanted their own cameras in there so they could control it. I get it. But the judge says, you know what? I got this. Hold my beer. I'll get a camera operator and I can control what is going to be viewed. So there we go. Let's do a little bit of background here as the court notes. 
On November 13th of 2022, four University of Idaho students, Kaylee Gonzalez, Madison Mogan, Zaina Kernodal, and Ethan Chapin were found deceased in Gonzalez, Mogan's, and Kernodal's off-campus home in Moscow, Idaho. The cause of death for each was ruled a homicide. As news of this tragedy broke, media outlets from around the country descended upon Moscow. As law enforcement investigated, news stations, newspapers, and social media were flooded with stories and speculations about the homicides. On December 30th, 2022, Koberger was arrested and charged with four counts of murder in the first degree and one count of burglary. Again, media outlets descended upon Moscow and the new coverage quickly focused on Koberger. Given the high profile nature of the case and concerns surrounding Koberger's fundamental right to a fair trial by an impartial jury, the parties stipulated to an entry of a non-dissemination order. On May 1st of 2023, a coalition of 20 media outlets, which encompasses the 14 media outlets now at issue, filed a motion to intervene and a motion to vacate the amended non-dissemination order. At the scheduled conference conducted on May 22nd of 2023, the court asked the parties and the Associated Press to brief the issues of whether cameras should continue to be allowed in the courtroom during the proceedings in this case. Oral arguments on this issue, issue was heard on June 9th of 2023, and the state was represented by William W. Thompson Jr. and Bradley Rudley, Latah County Prosecutor's Office. Defendant Brian C. Koberger was represented by Ann C. Taylor and J.W. Logson, and the Kootenai, K-O-O-T-E-N-A-I County Public Defender's Office. The Associated Press was represented by Wendy Olson and Corey Carone. At the time, both the defense and the prosecution were opposed to cameras in the courtroom, especially at trial. Nevertheless, the court resolved its rulings on the issue and has continued to allow cameras operated by the media at all public hearings. As the case has progressed, media coverage, both by legitimate media outlets and journalists, and by individuals on social media platforms, I wonder who we could be talking about there, continue to be significant nationwide. And then on August 24th, 2023, the defense filed a motion to remove cameras from the courtroom. On August 30th, 2023, the Associated Press filed a second motion to intervene in the case. And on September 8th, 2023, filed an opposition to Koberger's motion. On September 6th of 2023, the state filed a response to Koberger's motion, arguing that cameras should at least be banned during any hearing, including trial, where vulnerable witnesses and or victims were called to testify. I thought that was a ridiculous argument, I must say. Then on September 13th, 2023, a hearing on Koberger's motion was held. The state, once again, was represented by all the different attorneys and so on. It doesn't matter. Issue presented. The first issue pending before this court is whether the Associated Press has a right to intervene in a case to challenge Koberger's motion. And remember, this was a whole issue in the Lori Vallow case. Remember, people are saying, hey, judge, we want a copy to these files. We want to be able to see what's going on. And the court said, there's no right to intervene in a criminal case. Go away, you little peons. That's what they did. The court here was a little more diplomatic. For the reasons stated below and articulated on the record at the hearing on September 13th, 2023, the court holds that the Associated Press does not have standing to intervene in this case at this juncture. Nevertheless, the court will allow the Associated Press to participate as an interested media coalition. The next issue is whether the court should exercise its discretion and remove cameras from the courtroom to protect Koberger's right to a fair trial and to protect vulnerable witnesses and victims who may be called to testify at trial 
and other hearings. For these reasons stated below, the court will prohibit still video and audio coverage by journalists and the public. However, a court-operated video and audio system will be used to record and stream the proceedings allowing the media and the public access to view and hear for themselves what is taking place in the courtroom. This will alleviate some of the concerns raised by the parties while addressing the media's concerns with removing cameras from the courtrooms. Then the court goes through the analysis. This is the legal writing, ladies and gentlemen. You think you wanna be a lawyer? Do this all day. Analysis, intervention. There is not a widespread right of the press or anyone else to routinely intervene in Idaho criminal cases. And he cites a, a case law that went up to the Idaho Supreme Court has uh, a Westlaw site. Instead, the Idaho Supreme Court has endorsed a limited right applicable when a trial court's responsibility to balance the Sixth Amendment right of the accused with the First Amendment interest of the media becomes an issue. There is no First Amendment or other constitutional right to record, either by audio or visual transmission, any court proceeding in Idaho. And they cite to a Ninth Circuit case, um, which is a federal circuit there, obviously in California. While the press does enjoy a constitutional interest in access to our criminal courts and criminal justice process, the United States Supreme Court described that right only as a right to sit, listen, watch, and report. Now, that was a case back in 1980. Obviously, technology has changed quite a bit. Because the Associated Press does not have a constitutional right at stake when it comes to cameras in the courtroom, intervention is not appropriate. Thus, the Associated Press's second motion to intervene is denied. However, the court will treat the Associated Press like amicus curiae. Amicus curiae is someone who is not a party to a lawsuit, but who petitions the court or is requested by the court to file a brief in the action because the person has a strong interest in the subject matter. And he cites the definition of amicus curiae in the Black's Law Dictionary. Second, cameras in the courtroom. In Idaho, the decision to limit, restrict, or prohibit audiovisual coverage at any proceedings is left to the discretion of the judge presiding over the case. Yes, the Idaho... Um, Administrative Rules 45B. Such decisions are not subject to appellate review. That blows my mind. Everything should be subject to appellate review. Anyway, we go on. The presiding judge maintains the right to limit audiovisual coverage of any public hearing when the interest of the administration of justice requires. Authorization may be revoked at any time without prejudice, prior notice, when in the discretion of the court, it appears that the audiovisual coverage is interfering in any way with the proper administration of justice. That's the rule. Few, if any, interests under the Constitution are more fundamental than the right to a fair trial by an impartial juror. The United States Supreme Court has recognized a defendant's right to a trial by an impartial jury free from outside influences in the face of massive, pervasive, and prejudicial publicity. Now, while acknowledging that a responsible press has always been regarded as the handmaiden of effective judicial administration, especially in the criminal field, the court chastised the trial court for not taking strong measures to ensure Shepard's right to a fair trial. Uh, and he's quoting here. Now, while pretrial publicity, even pervasive, adverse publicity does not inevitably lead to an unfair trial. The capacity of the jury eventually impaneled to decide the case fairly is influenced by the tone and extent of the publicity, and they cited to uh, Nebraska Press Association versus Stewart, which was um, a 1976 case at the United States Supreme Court. 
Well, only the occasional case presents a danger of prejudice from pretrial publicity. This case, as recognized by the Idaho Supreme Court, has drawn widespread publicity, garnering worldwide attention and much speculation, and therefore pretrial publicity does present a real danger of prejudice. And they once again cite to a case. Recognizing the high-profile nature of this case and the extensive coverage it has received, along with the need to minimize possible pretrial prejudice, the parties agree that cameras should be prohibited from the courtroom, especially at trial and any other hearing where vulnerable victims and witnesses may be called to testify. As was noted by District Judge Stephen W. Boyce in Memorandum Decision and Order Prohibiting Video and Photographic Coverage in the Case of State v. Idaho via Lori Vallow, agreements between the state and defense on any issue in a capital case is rare further confirming to the court the legitimacy of the level of concern counsel has raised. This same is true in this case. Now, as demonstrated by some of the examples presented in the defense motion to remove cameras from courtroom, media cameras, both still and video, have and continue to zoom in on Koberger despite the court's order that images should capture the in courtroom in its entirety. At least some of the images are of Koberger entering and exiting the courtroom. This is in direct violation of the court's previous directive not to film or take photographs until the court is on the record and to immediately stop recording and taking photographs when the hearing concludes. It is the intense focus on Koberger as his every move along with the adverse headlines and news articles that leads the court to conclude that continued photographs and video coverage inside the courtroom by the media should no longer be permitted. This step should help ensure Koberger's right to a fair trial by an impartial jury and achieve a proper administration of justice. Additionally, defense counsel has raised continued concerns with the video and photographs capturing private documentation on counsel table. This is again in violation of the court's directive. The state has also raised issues of vulnerable victims and witnesses being filmed during testimony. At this juncture, the court has no confidence that directives to stop photographing, videoing during such testimony would be adhered to. Further, the duty on the bailiffs within the courtroom to ensure a safe and secure environment is being eclipsed by the burden to monitor media and the public who may be audio recording, video, or photographing the proceedings. To be clear, the court is not accusing all journalists and media outlets of violating the court's orders. However, a court-operated video system will give the court greater control over what is being videoed, will lessen the burden on the bailiffs, will help to alleviate counsel's concerns, and will allow the media and the public access to the video footage of the proceedings. And then for the reasons set forth above, audiovisual coverage of any proceeding in this case will be exclusively done by the court media and public are not allowed to video, photograph, audio record, or otherwise transmit during the proceedings. Future public hearings in this case will be videoed at, with a live stream that will be available for the public and media to view at the court's YouTube channel. And then they give the URL. Of course, we'll bring it to you. And then the court reserves the right to amend or prohibit audio video coverage in its future if it is determined that video is uh, in the proceedings is interfering in any way with the proper administration of justice. I say win-win. We, us, the Crime Talk aficionado family here, I think we all agreed we just want access to it. I have been a firm advocate. I think they, every court should be live on YouTube in every county and every jurisdiction in the state so people could see what the heck takes place in a courtroom. If it's 
nothing's getting done because none of the attorneys are ready or an actual trial. I think the judge made a good compromise. He split the baby. Prosecution defense said no cameras. You got to deal with the uh, press and the First Amendment. And he says, don't worry, guys, I got this. I'll take care of it. I'll alleviate anything. Takes away any appellate issues whatsoever. But I would urge the Idaho legislature to come up with some serious rules on this so that we can know what is going on. No appellate review? I mean, seriously, if the judge were to say no cameras in the courtroom, that's it? But remember, it was the Supreme Court when the press took their issue to the Idaho Supreme Court that said, no, take it back to the district court and we'll see how they rule and then we'll do it. So somebody needs to fix those rules in Idaho. And I get it way back in the day when those um, statutes were written, they're probably talking about you know, you know, the uh, news channel coming in but has nothing to do with this uh, here today in the modern world where people should be able to see the news. So I think it's a win for us. The press kind of lost the, frankly, the defense and prosecutors both lost. They, they lost, let's put it that way, because they don't want anything in there. So we win. All right, next on the docket, the judge. The judge responds in the Delphi. Remember. There were some appellates, some uh, petitions filed by uh, Richard Allen, who's the accused Delphi murderer. He was um, uh, had his counsel kicked off, and then the attorney said, "No, um, Indianapolis or Indiana Supreme Court, uh, please uh, let us stay on the case, and the judge should not uh, be doing these various things." Well, the judge has finally responded. So. Uh, Richard Allen's motion for writs from the Indiana Supreme Court uh, doesn't meet the urgency or criteria for the court's review of the special Judge Francis Gull's decision, according to Judge Gull's brief. Now, an attorney, obviously on behalf of uh, the accused Delphi killer, uh, filed with the Indiana Supreme Court a review of Judge Gull's decision on her firing Allen's attorneys, her sealing of court filings that Allen claimed should be public. Now, Gull was appointed to preside over Allen's murder trial uh, in Delphi, and he's accused of uh, killing 14-year-old uh, Libby German and 13-year-old Abby Williams. He was arrested on October 26th of 2022 after nearly a six-year investigation. So Allen's petitions to the Supreme Court does not seek the extraordinary re relief reserved for these original actions, Gull's response noted. And should this court grant a right to Allen, the court will become inundated with petitions alleging that trial courts across the state committed a technical violation of the access of court record rules. Now, disputes of the type Allen raised are best resolved in the ordinary appellate process, which means go to trial, lose, and then raise the issue. That's why they went from the original proceeding to the Supreme Court saying this is so egregious, action must be taken. Now, since the filing of charges um, in Allen's case, they have been kept under seal from the public inspection. Now, news outlets have filed uh, motions to get the probable cause and uh, charging information, which um, is highly unusual. Now, Allen alleged in his first of the two filings in the US Supreme Court, the documents were improperly sealed, and Gull's brief indicated that they were not, and Gull has noted that it is the Carroll County clerk's job, not hers, to maintain the uh, docket's filing system in the criminal cases. And to uh, clear up any allegations in Allen's filing, Gull ordered that on November 14th, the clerk unseal some of the sealed documents. 
Now, Gall has issued an order directing the clerk to make available to the public all non-confidential documents. Mr. Allen has requested to be made public. The brief states, in any event, Gall has no absolute duty to maintain the public filing in the docket. Now, other sealed documents, such as the 136-page memo in support of a hearing to suppress evidence, was sealed because it contained juveniles' names, specifically Libby German and Abby Williams, which the judge has prohibited. But the brief didn't mention that the prosecutors, in their response, also used Abby and Libby's name as well. So I guess it was only the defense that was violating the rule. And we read the motion to suppress, or nearly all of it, on a live one night. Maybe we should do that again soon. It's rather interesting, to be honest. It's just lengthy. I'll have to uh, get a lot of water to, to drink it to get through it all. But we, we can do it. And then um, Gull's brief notes that there are remedies to address Allen's grievances, starting with monitoring, uh, starting with motioning the court where his case is filed, and he hasn't done that. He just jumped straight to the Supreme Court. First, by his own admission, Allen has not filed a written motion seeking relief from the court, and uh, this failure alone warrants this court to reject the petition outright. Now, Gull had until November 27th to file a brief in Allen's second motion for a writ filed with the Indiana Supreme Court challenging Gull's removal of uh, Allen's attorneys from the case. We'll see how that works out. Remember, the public defender said they also agree that that shouldn't be allowed to have taken place. What? can you do? I don't know. Seems pretty weak, Judge Gull. I just don't understand that the government works for us, ladies and gentlemen. Transparency, transparency. You know, light is the greatest disinfectant. Let it come in. And then finally today, our dumb criminal of the day. This was sent to us from a subscriber. Please meet Rudy Wilcox. He was picked up by the uh, Clearwater Police uh, on Wednesday after he was seen uh, going poop, ladies and gentlemen, on a road. But, you know, he's homeless. He's going poop. But it was uh, in an intersection. But what makes it even more bizarre was that he was defecating on a deceased possum that was in the roadway. And uh, apparently his pants were lowered and uh, people were able to see his region, which is a crime in Florida, ladies and gentlemen. Now, no reason noted why Mr. Wilcox wanted to poop on the possum in the middle of the roadway, other than he just needed to take a poop. Maybe he didn't even know the possum was there, but at least the possum was dead, so it wasn't some sort of cruelty to animal, I guess. All right, put that one in you can't make this stuff up category, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for watching. We'll see you next time on Crime Talk.